Lord, we just thank you for this afternoon. We thank you for each person that's here and for your word. We ask for your leading and guiding as we look at your word and, and study. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs 15, starting at verse 14. 15. 15. Starting at verse 14. And we'll read about five or six. The heart of him that has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of merry heart has a continual feast. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a, than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeases strife. The way of the slothful man is a, as a hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. A wise son make, makes a glad father, but a foolish son despises his mother. And we'll stop there. Do we want to open these dra dra uh, shades, or are you guys okay? No, it's okay. okay. All right. Verse 14, The heart of him that has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. And this is kind of interesting. You know, if you have some knowledge to be understanding to begin with, you want more depth. And I think this is what we find as we get into God's Word, at least what I find when I get into God's Word, the more... I understand the more I want to dig down into it and find out more. The more I understand about different things, you know, as we get trained up, the more we want to know. But fools, it says it feed, they feed on foolishness. Have you ever been around somebody who just says foolish things and keeps saying foolish things and it's like they're feeding their own ignorance with what they're saying and seeming to enjoy it? And I don't understand it. I've probably been guilty of it myself at times as well, but I don't understand somebody who just keeps talking about something they know nothing about. And it's very funny sometimes when, you, when, they're, when they just keep going. And, but the people with understanding want more. They want to hear more of, to go deeper in what they have. Uh, and I just, that's what I love about the Word of God. You can't go deep enough into the Word of God because there's still things underneath it. Every time you read it, every time you study it, there's something else deeper in there for you to understand. There's something tied in with other parts. And I just love it. The understanding comes from God's word. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart has a continual feast. This idea of being afflicted. And it, when somebody is feeling that everything is going wrong, everything seems to be going wrong for them. And why? Because they're dwelling on it. Have you ever been there where you dwell on all the bad things that are happening and put yourself into a miserable place? Now, you just keep getting more and more miserable because everything seems to be going against you and everything all of a sudden starts to be evil. You may even snap out at people you normally wouldn't, wouldn't get angry with and, and pushing people away who, who are trying to help you get out of it and you go, everything is just bad, I don't want to have any... I don't want to hear how good things are for you or how good, how good you think things are for me because I'm just, everything's bad. A resentful of things that... Resentful of any good that happens to somebody else. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't like myself when I feel like that because I look at... Now, I don't, I'm not wealthy by any means or I don't have a lot. I just get by. Mm -hmm. But I've got a lot. 
and then to resent things that I don't think people need or deserve is what I'm, that's wrong. Well, it's, it's amazing to me when I look at what all God has given me, because on a day-to-day -day basis, I don't really recognize what he's doing. Mm -mm. But I was talking with the pastors. I went to the pastor's meeting yesterday, and I was talking with some of the pastors, and it just I just shared with them, God meets my needs because he has. He's met all my needs. And, and we all know that you know between Lynn and what I make, we don't make a lot of money, and yet God meets the needs somehow. Well, he meets my needs. He pays, I pay my doctor yeah. bills, and I... Yeah. But I learned one thing. When I go to the hospital to pay on a bill, I, if I get a discount, <laughs> I don't know what kind, and I learned that by being a smart mouth. <laughs> when I asked her for my summer discount, she said, oh, you know, I'll give you something else. So I got a percentage off my bill. Yeah. And I thought, uh-oh. Yep. But I love this verse. A, a merry heart is a continual feast. You know, when we are looking at God's blessings and concentrating on what God does, we end up, basically, he's talking about being joyful and being in a, in a in, you know, he's talking about that feast, the idea of enjoying things. And that's why I've always said, one of my favorite hymns is Count Your Blessings, because it really does. Count your blessings, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Mm -hmm. And if you're really feeling bad, start looking at what God is doing good well, for you. Well, I had to do that this morning. Yeah? But, you know, and I, see, I know I'm wrong. That's the thing of it. And then I still let it eat me. Why? Learning to trust God, and it's a test for you to, to turn it let over go. to God and let go. That's my dad used to say, it's eating him. Eating him, eating at him, yeah. It does. I mean, All of these things that we know are wrong when we're, when we're suffering from them is a test from God to say, are we going to just release it to him and let it go? Because if we want to, I mean, if we really want to, we could look at all the injustices of the world. You know, the socialist government that we're starting to develop, taking the money from those who have and giving it to those who don't do anything and don't deserve it. Uh, you know, the, the bad seems to follow people who are trying to do good and people that are bad seem to have things going good. You know, in, in Psalms all the time, David was saying, you know, hey, you know, God, uh, when are you going to judge these people? Everything, they, you know, they're disobeying you and everything seems to be right in their life. And then he would come to the conclusion of, yes, but... <laughs> In the in the eternity, they're not going to have anything blessing, and this is where we have to be in our lifetime. Is if if we think somebody is being blessed that doesn't deserve it, that may be all the blessing they're ever going to get for all of eternity. Well, that's what and I that's not that. judging them. It's just a lot of times that's the case. Mm -hmm. uh, so if we suffer for a little while while we're on Earth, we have eternity to enjoy rewards, and it's just a matter of us keeping it in our mind that. Okay, they're getting what they—they're getting some small blessing here on earth, but if, unless they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, this is all they're ever going to have, and it might be God trying to use that to get them to come to Him, showing blessing. I don't know. Well, see, I don't relish in people's downfalls or their mishaps or whatever. I don't do that. But they, I don't know why this is bothering me so much. Well, it's 
it is that idea, I mean, for me, I've, like I said, I know what you're talking about. When people get these big income tax tax uh, returns and they haven't worked. A day in their life. You know, sometimes, sometimes not at all, or even just a minimal amount. And you know, believe me, I've been there. I, I used to make eighty, ninety thousand a year spending, you know, spending you know twenty to thirty thousand dollars in taxes, and then watching these people get five and six thousand dollars back, and I'm sitting there still owing another hundred or two hundred at the end of the, you know, end of the taxes. I'm going, God, you know, this isn't this isn't right. But I couldn't, do, you know, you can't dwell on that because, like I said, that may be all they'll ever ever see of any kind of reward. Well, yeah, I was told one time, don't begrudge him because that's all they'll have. Yeah. And so we just concentrate on, okay, God, you know, you're in control, and we're doing, we're going to have blessings Thank for eternity. Thank you for what I got. Yeah. <laughs> like my millionaire friend. Thank you for I my said, car not running after I have, you know, rocks. That's my millionaire friend. How can we help the poor? He goes, don't worry, I've paid my taxes. A lot of millionaires look at it that way, and that's an unfortunate. Really sad, but he's a genius, and he's very smart. I said, how can we help the poor people? He's an agnostic, yeah, and he had no interest in helping people pay his taxes. Like you said, he makes a hundred thousand a year, so he's paying twenty-five, twenty-five to thirty-five thousand a Yeah, he he almost cries when he pays taxes. But the key to this is, and you hit it on the on the head. The world has no desire to help the poor because there's no love for them. There's no, you know, and like the you know, my taxes pay for it. The government will take care of them. Then, unfortunately. God says that it's the church's responsibility. The government's taken it away, but it's because the church is allowed for that to happen. And the churches are better at helping people because they get to know the people. They know those who are just lazy and not wanting to work as opposed to those who are They're too lazy truly to get help from the government. They're too lazy yeah. to even fill out the forms to get, a, get help. But uh, They expect the church or, or their neighbors to, to help them. Well, I know a person whose son t actually told her that the church should be helping her, and he's an able-bodied person who should be helping his mother, which is what the Bible says. You know, the Bible tells the church, you know, if, if it's a widow who has family that can take care of them, then it's the family's responsibility to take care of the widow. If it's a true widow who has no family, then it's the church's responsibility to help that person out. Or, and I would go so far as not just saying widowed, but truly disabled, who couldn't go out and do anything. Not by the world's definition of disabled, which means I hurt when I work. You know, that's everybody hurts when they work. You know, it's if you're doing work, it makes your muscles ache, it makes your joints ache if you're truly working. So, but I like to work. I love to work. Wednesday, when my sister and I went, so we were in Bashi, so we were checking out. Well, I was checking out for she was riding back of me, but she's always yelling at me about something. I don't put my things in the cart right or there's always something. So the checkout lady kind of laughed. She looked, she said, I can tell you two are sisters. And uh, Joni said, yeah, she's older than I am, but I got to stay on her all the time. <laughs> And I looked at her, I said, don't bother me. Yeah. But. This next verse uh, actually goes into some of what we've been talking. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great trouble and treasure thereof. You know, this is something we were kind of along this line. As long as we are happy with the little that God gives us and we fear God, we are actually better off than those millionaires and the ones that have the large houses and cars and but have no 
peace, no, no calmness, no future. They, you know, and this is what I keep bringing it back to. For many people, all they're ever going to have is what they've experienced on this earth. There's a saying that I heard a long time ago, for those who are going to hell, this is as close to heaven as they're going to see. And we know this earth isn't anywhere, anything like heaven, but this is as close to heaven. They'll look back in hell and say, man, I wish I was back on earth with all the problems we had there. I wish I was back there. For those of us that are saved and going to heaven, this is as close to hell as we're ever going to get. And, and it doesn't, it's not even close to either side. But we will be in heaven looking back and saying, boy, I'm glad I'm, out. I'm no longer in that, on that earth and all those problems that were there because I'm with God. And they'll be in hell looking back and saying, man, I wish I was back on earth with all the headaches and hassles that earth had compared to hell. Now, and this is what this verse is really saying. Better is that little that we have with God than if we had everything. Now, this lady that passed away, this Linda Jones, uh, I want to, somehow, I want to talk to her grandchildren to see if they'll come to church. I don't know if the mother will let them or not. I don't know. Uh, but I took stuff over when she died. I saw one of the little, her grandsons at the post office, and he said, Mrs. Singleton, thank you for the spaghetti <laughs> And I thought, but I didn't recognize him right away, you know. And I thought, oh, that was my chance to say something to him, and I didn't. But I haven't seen him out since. Okay. But I want to ask their mother if she would let them come. Okay. Because when I went to see them, when they were little, they informed me they didn't have to come to Sunday school. They were excelled. I said, that's good. Mm -hmm. But I, I did talk to their brother, kept him going to school, but, but help me to somehow be able to be custody of other children. All right. 17, better is a Ox were hatred therewith. And this is again that picture of a little and a lot. And a lot. Now, I have this little bowl of herbs, uh, you know, plants, <laughs> mm -hmm. or a great big ox. But where love is and a little is, is great benefit. And if there's hatred, uh, a lot of times movies play this up where the rich family will try to get together and there's hatred amongst each other. And here they are with all the the luxurious food and the silverware and the lights and you know the the full table full of stuff and there's this bickering going on mm -hmm. you know bickering and anger and you know what it's usually over money usually over money or just you know possessions and stuff uh, and then you have the picture of just the family at home with a little modest dinner but there's love in that house and it is, it is, this is a very true statement. It is much better to have that little where, where there's love and, and peace than all the hatred and, and, you know, which makes the food just a terrible place to be, even though it might have been the best food cooked by the best chef. Without love and, and peace in it, it, it's a miserable meal. And this is one that, you know, uh, 
Solomon would be well aware of because he had all the all this money and all these feasts and you know all these wives and you know he would know the difference between when he was following God and and had that peace to the time when he was struggling with where God was and trying to find him so all right a wrathful man stirs up strife but he that is slow to anger appeases strife and we've talked a lot about this over the times you know this has been a theme of Proverbs with quite a bit you know if you if somebody is very angry, they stir up more anger. Uh, if you have hard word, you know, if somebody says something you know, harsh at you and you say something harsh back at them, it escalates. Uh, and if you learn to just be soft or not even answer at all, it usually de-escalates pretty fast because there's nothing for them to play off of. You know, there's nothing for them to respond to. And this is what you know, you're taught as a customer service rep or anything. If you deal with the public, you, you learn to if you're going to be good at it, you learn how to say something kind and, and defuse the situation to, rather than increase it. And I've watched people who just increase a situation greatly. My son called me the other day and they had a, this woman that was being very abusive to his associates, you know, and just cursing them and foul language. And he went up to the woman and, said, you know, and asked, you know, is there anything I can do, anything I can make, you know, better for you? And then she went off on him and started cussing at him. And he goes, ma'am, I'm just going to have to ask you to leave the store. You know, just calm, <laughs> you know, calm and said, I need you to leave the store. And she goes, and she started cussing at him some more. And she goes, well, and then he goes, well, you have a choice. You can either walk out or I'm calling the police to take you out. She goes, and she started getting up and go, okay, ma'am, I will have to call the police. And she decided to, to leave after asking for all of his boss's names and everything, which, you know, he wasn't too worried about because he was being nice to her and others had heard that he was, but, you know, there are those people that aren't going to calm down at all. But usually if you're nice to somebody, even when they're on a rampage, they yeah, will they usually calm do down. You're nice. <laughs> it's not, it's not normal. Uh-uh. The, the flesh in our body says, if you're mean to me, I'm going to be mean to you. And then, and then you get mean to them, and they get meaner to you, and it, it all, all, all of a sudden escalates, and that's the way of the world. That's the way Satan likes it. He likes all that strife. He likes all the discomfort. He likes seeing things get escalated, and our flesh, because it has fallen, does the same thing. We, we don't want it necessarily to escalate, but we want to be right, and we want to win. There's an old adage that almost every man in, in his day was taught, don't start a fight, but make sure that you finish it and win, you know, is what they meant. And that is the world's way of, of looking at things. Make sure you win. At all costs, you win. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. And that wasn't meaning just, it wasn't physically meaning to get struck on the, but do not, you're not out there to seek to win. I'm out there to win them to God which may mean that I let them win the argument. I let them win, feel like they're winning whatever it is that they're angry about. How many times have you seen or heard the testimony of where somebody has gone humbly who was not wrong but went and asked, you know, told somebody, you know, I'm sorry for what I did to make you so mad. That person doesn't know what to do with it. And many times you've, we apologize for something maybe that we didn't even do. But we just apologize them in humility, saying, yeah, I'm really sorry that I did something that made you mad, I, and I ask you to forgive me. And leave it at there. Don't try to make excuses. Don't try to you know, make it sound like they're the one with the problem by, I'm sorry that you feel, feel that I did something that you, 
to make you wrong, you know, but we go to them humbly and we just apologize and say, I am so sorry that I did something that made you mad. People don't know what to do with that. They really don't because that's not the way that the flesh reacts. Even many Christians don't know how to handle that because they're not really tuned into what God wants them to do. But when we can be humble, Jesus did that. He went to the cross to take our sins upon himself and present himself to the Father as sin. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to win us. And this is why it's important. We want to be slow to anger so that we don't stir up wrath. And it goes into what I say so often. We need to let God be our defense. If he's our defense, I don't have to stand up and, and struggle with somebody. I can say, you know, all right, I'm sorry, I, I'm sorry, and, and go back from there, or just let them, you know, do whatever they want to do and let God deal with it. Uh, several years ago, Bill McAdams was in the post office, I think, and I said, have a nice day or something to that effect. And he said, don't even go there, backstabber. And I thought, I looked at him laughing, I said, well, have a nice day anyway. The next time I saw him, now this was several, uh, two or three years ago, I had, was walking with a walking stick as after I broke my leg. He said, oh, Loretta, it's so good to see you up Mm-hmm. Thank you. I worked for him before. He's getting, he's really good. I don't know what he was talking about in his brother, but boy, he don't even. And he's I, on an emotional roller coaster. Well, he used to own or yesterday's is. Um, he used to own that. Bad, he didn't sell it for more. Really, really bitter. Well, the thing about all of that is people are going to be bitter when they think they've been cheated. They're going to be bitter when they don't think they got a good enough deal. They're going to be bitter when they think that somebody has said something about them. Whether they have or haven't is becomes an irrelevant avenue with them. And this is why it is so important just to go before God and say, God, I'm going to let you defend me. Because if you deal with the public, you're going to have people that get mad at you because you're going to you're going to say something, or even worse, they're going to hear something that wasn't said. Mm -hmm. And I've had that happen many times where somebody has heard something that wasn't even said, or you didn't mean it the way that they heard it, or whatever it might be. Uh, on a handful of times when I've heard something in a, in a message that a pastor said, I've gone to the pastor, and my approach usually is, Pastor, this is what I thought I heard you say Sunday. Is that what you said, or is that what you meant? And most of the time, they'll say no. Definitely that wasn't what they meant. Mm -hmm. um, and usually they'll go, I don't think I said that, but if I did, I didn't mean it that way. That way. Uh, and that clarifies a whole lot up because there's so many times where we go off of uh, thinking that somebody has said something and it didn't, didn't mean anything. When I, when I went through manager training at Pizza Hut, they had a little skit where this customer had gone, you know, they asked him how the food was, and she go, and the person, and the customer happened to be a lady when I took it, said it wasn't too hot. Uh, and so everybody's trying to fix the problem that they perceived that she was saying. You know, well, what wasn't right about it? It wasn't, you know, and what she literally meant was it wasn't too hot. The last time she'd come in, she'd burned her mouth on the food, and the food wasn't too hot that week. You know, so, but... We were all perceived, number one, we were set up because it was problem solving that we were doing. Mm -hmm. 
And then, you know, the statement not too hot usually means that something was wrong. It wasn't wasn't perfect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we were set up by having a problem-solving situation and a perceived way that we were seeing what this person was saying. And so we're sitting here struggling to fix a problem that didn't exist because we heard something in our per, you know, from our perception. So we had to be careful because sometimes we're assuming somebody says something that they haven't really said. We weren't fortunate enough at 70, Union, Cal, Union 76 to be trained, but I looked, found all the manuals of how to treat customers and I worked really hard. I had plenty of time to read all this information. It, and they said the word sorry to the customer is supposed to be used very often as being sorry your motor blew up uh, or your damage to your car or whatever. Sorry, but it's going to cost you, you know, 2500 to have the problem fixed. And we don't do that here. You'll have to go down the, somewhere to your dealer or wherever. But we can do what we can to help you fix your problem. But sorry, sorry, sorry. You're always sorry about that. Sorry works if you really mean it. And people understand very quickly if you don't. Yeah. Genuinely sorry to the person in their situation. But it is, it is such a critical thing. I mean, Satan loves to get into the details of words and make people, number one, hear the wrong words. Uh, and it's so easy, especially if you're hard of hearing or you don't hear real well. It is real easy to hear, hear things that weren't even See, said. Wrong yeah, you know, I do that uh, there's somebody mad at me right now because she did not hear the words that I said. She heard something totally different, and I just found out that this is this happened. So now I got to go try to fix it uh, because well, they didn't hear what I said. <laughs> I asked a person to do something for me and I was going to pay them so much money. Well, they haven't done what I asked them to do yet. But I had it in my mind to go give them a certain amount of money towards what I told them I'd give them. They called me. Uh, I hate to ask you this, but I need this because I'm having surgery and so and so and could you it and I said, you know what, that's kind of strange because I had it in my mind to give you this much anyway towards what I told you I'd pay you for what you were going to do. And I laughed. we were laughing about that. Yeah. But uh, and I know it had to be somehow could, could God, be God interfering, you yeah. know, and letting me know that this person needed the money. And truly needed it. Yeah. Yep. And I just had that what she asked for, but... But, but if you think over your lifetime, there are probably times when you have been mad at somebody and then found out that they didn't do what you thought they did or didn't say what you thought they did. And then you end up basically feeling kind of like kind of foolish because you were mad at them for no reason whatsoever. And in the meantime, they're not understanding why you're mad at them in, at all because they didn't do anything. And, you know, this is so hard. And, then, and the angry person, the wrathful person, loves to stir it up. And we all know people who love to stir up trouble. You know, oh, this is going on. Let me, let me add a little more fuel to this. Let me pour a little more gasoline on this fire for you so it'll really, so it'll burn really up. burn up. You know, I'm going to help you, you know, help you get really mad at them. You're only a little mad at them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you get really mad at them. And they, and they give you gossip or, you know, things that didn't even happen. You know. We all know people like that that want to make, make things worse. And yet God's saying a soft answer, quiet answer, not even, sometimes don't even answer. And just, just smile and walk away. Smile and walk away. Sometimes that is 
irritates people more than anything you can do is just look at them and smile and walk away. Or as Mark said, you know, I'm really sorry you feel that way. I, you know, if there's anything I can do to help you fix it, let me know and walk away. <laughs> you know, because that's all we can do at times is just let their fire burn out without trying to add to it. And if we respond to them in like manner, it's, you know, a sociologist call it the law of reciprocation, you get back what you give them. You give them kind things, you usually get back kindness. If you give them anger, you usually get back anger. Uh, I don't get back what I had said this morning. No. And right now I'm feeling rather foolish about the way I was feeling. Yeah. But. Now, the law of reciprocation isn't 100%. You can be as nice as you want to some people and they'll still be mad and irritated and angry. And if, and if, you, if possible, your best case in, there, in that situation is to walk away from them and just let it burn out. Uh, if it happens to be a family member you can't walk away from, uh, start praying. <laughs> start praying because there's not much else you can do, but try to get away from that even. So, but the, the scripture here is real clear, you know, and, it, and it's true. You know, you, if you're wrathful, you're gonna stir up strife, and if you're just quiet and gentle, it usually gets better. The way of the slothful man is a hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is it made plain. And this is kind of an interesting idea. Uh, this goes back into more of the older days when your when your walkways were usually had hedges around them. If you drive in a lot of European places or, or go places in, in Europe a lot, you still have the hedges on these little one-way one 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 lane streets that have two ways of traffic and you have to pull over at various places but they're all hedged in or, with rock. or rocked rock, in rock. rocked in or hedged in or sometimes deep ditches or whatever it is there's a there's very clear where the road is yeah and where you're not supposed to be and it says the slothful man is as a hedge of thorns and i don't know how many of you've ever been around a hedge of thorns or a thorn bush or mm -hmm. plucked plucked blackberries on the <laughs> You know, uh, blackberries are a pain. They taste great, but they're a pain in the neck to get off the bushes sometimes. Yeah, but it makes it jelly from Washington. Yeah, uh, because they, there's thorns all over those bushes. The wild ones are much sweeter than the ones. I like I like wild blackberries. Go out there with her gloves and long sleeve. And <laughs> I don't wear gloves. I try and do it with my bare hands. When my dad head. moved to Tennessee, he would get blackberries and make wine. I went with him one day. Ah. He had this one of these little tubs, and I had a big bucket. Well, I got my bucket full first. I said, Dad, you want me to help you? And he looked at me, which is, he didn't like that, because he was good at figuring mirrors. No, he said, I'm ready to go home. So when we got home, my mom looked at his little bucket, and it wasn't full, and my, my bucket's full. She says to me, what happened? I said, I beat dead pickleberries and I'm laughing, you know. And she said, Oh, that's quite unusual. And I said, I asked him if he wanted me to help him fill his little tub, and he said, No. <laughs> and she said, You know what? Because you beat him picking berries. Well, I'm the same way playing chess with my son. I wouldn't let him beat me. But finally, I took a fall. I let him win because he lost interest. He got angry, but like you said, I, I had to let him win because uh, he, I was beating him. I wouldn't let him, I was really playing hard, so I wouldn't let him beat me ever. And that was my arrogance and my uh, 
Well, like I don't know. The father, the father, and the daughter, or the father and the son. You don't want your uh, the daughter to beat. You didn't want. He didn't want you to beat him. The idea is, I mean, I never let any of my kids beat me, but I then also didn't feel bad when they got good enough to beat me at something. That was oh, just that you know, was was, the yeah. first time anybody it was a good thing. So, yeah, that really probably shocked him. So, but it was funny. He he said, "No, we're re we you're ready to go home." Yeah. Unfortunately, that's kind of petty. I mean, I would have just had you put it in the well, bucket and go pick said. another. Go pick another one. So it's. Oh well. It, that's the way people are sometimes. It's. And my mom, well, my mom thought that was so funny. Yeah. She got angry about it. He didn't say nay. I I think he, I don't know why. I mean, to me, I would let him help me fill my bucket. Yeah, it's just a pride issue. Pride. It's a pride issue. But the, the way the, the righteous is made plain or wide, and that's, you know, and we get to see that a lot. You know, the, the, the way of the slothful, he's hedged in. He's hedged in, not only hedged in, but it's hedged in by a thorny bush that he can't push through. He is, his way is, is leading to a, a destruction, uh, and he's, he's geared toward it. And it's just like Jesus said that, there is a broad way that leads to death and a narrow way that leads to life. And, and the sad thing about that is I've always pictured this. It's the broad way that leads to death is like the cattle chutes that they run, they run the cattle into these big wide fences that they don't realize they're being fenced in. And then the fence comes down to a narrow chute that leads them into a truck or a box car or that, that then usually will lead them to the slaughterhouse. <laughs> And for Jesus, we walk in a narrow gate, and then we get the freedom of grace, and it opens wide to us once we're through the gate. And this is where he's talking about it. The way of the righteous is plain. It's just a wide open area. There's choices in front of the righteous because God knows that he can trust them to make the right choices because they are following a righteous walk. And it's very amazing as you look at this. It says, the son, a wise son makes the father glad but a foolish son despises his mother. And it's always, all the way through the Psalms, the, the good son is a blessing to the father and, a, and it's a curse or bad to the, to the mother. And it might be that the mother feels it more when their children are disobedient and walking away from God than the father does, at least in general. Well, in my, in my opinion, because I never had a son, but... I think a mother is closer in a way, and I can't say that either because I've seen, you know, fathers. And There's always exceptions. But is, it would appear to me that a mother in, in reality or life would be closer to a, a child than the father. And that's usually true, and they, and they feel, feel. they feel the pain more when their children doesn't. Men are in, the, in, a, in a different world. Men are, men are in a world where if there's, somebody fails, it's not a personal, personal reflection on me. When, when I'm at work and, and one of my partners at work doesn't pull their weight, it's not a reflection on me as a man, you know, as much as it is to the woman. And I've seen it even in the work world. Women take, tend to take that somebody not pulling their weight more personal personally than a man does and I, it's part I think the way God creates us uh, and I think it's true when my when we take my oldest son out of the house it hurt my wife more 
than it did me. And I was hurt. I did not want to do it, but he was not listening. And I gave him consequences, and it was going to have to be fulfilled. And it hurt my wife a lot more than it hurt me. And I think this is true all the way around. The mother gives birth to the children. She takes care of them when they're young. There's this personal, strong attachment. And women tend to be more emotionally attached to things than men anyway. You know, and, and, and again, there's exceptions to every rule. Yeah, and yeah. Men, men usually are a little more detached from the, you know, from the emotional side of things. And that's, not again, not a perfect 100%. You know, it's generalizations. Anytime you generalize something, somebody will come up and say, well, I know this person and that person. That does, you know, and I go, yes, there's a... <laughs> but as a whole group, <laughs> these are usually true. I think a man is a more of a protector. They're protect Well, that's how God created them. God created uh, us to protect our family, to protect our wives, uh, to, to be the provider. And that's why it hurts men a lot when they cannot provide for their, you know, for their families. And even in today's world, if the wife makes more money than the husband, they may say that they're okay with it. But I can guarantee you, you get to know that man. He is not okay with his wife making more money than he does, because it is a, it is not what God ingrained the man to be. Especially when she comes home and sees the guy who's watching TV all day. And well, it's well, you know, when John had to go from to the nav maker to a um, security guard, now he was he went to school for private detective office. But anyway, and that was a big cut. Mm -hmm. And I made more than him. But when I got a raise, I never told him. He never saw my check stubs. <laughs> there got a raise because she was friendly to the boss and she was got the raise and my mom had been there for a lot longer and didn't get the raises that this pretty girl this other girl who was given friendlier to the boss was getting her raises and that was a really a hard thing for John to do was to make this man that's yeah my mom was bitter for that well, see, I learned in my very first job never to tell anybody what I made because I was a I was the youngest person and I was the hardest worker and I got full pay raises. So I was out. I made more money than most of the people that had been there for a long time, and it was at the same time minimum wage kept was going up. So they kept getting minimum wage kept going. The only reason they were getting raises because minimum wage was pushing them up, and I was hustling and moving and I got all the top raises. So I learned very quickly: do not tell these people what I made because. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a 19-year-old making more than these people 30, 40 years old. Uh, now, I worked three to four times harder than any of them, you know, so it was deserved. But, you know, from their mindset, it wasn't. You know, it was just this young guy that's been here since a short time. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a lot of bitterness. So, I, you know, I've always told people just, you know, be quiet about what you're making because it's I nobody get, else's business. I get an envelope of cash in it because I was doing more You work hard, you usually get rewarded. You know. I can't stand money. That is one thing that irritates me, and, and really it shouldn't. 
Because I got to where I'm lazy. Yep. And you know that bothers me, though. Well, I heard somebody gave a, gave a statistic the other, the other day on the radio. One of the pastors was saying that he'd read a survey that says that most of the millennial and the Gen, Gen Xers believe that they should get a pay raise or a promotion every two years, whether they deserve it or not, because of the way they've been raised. They've been raised with everybody is good, everybody deserves to be rewarded. You 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 play a sport, you deserve a trophy, whether you sat on the bench, you know, you were the best player or the worst player. Everybody is supposed to be treated equal, and they're taking this now into the work, workplace world, and it's scary, because I have seen it. <laughs> when I first moved here to Kingman and I was a manager, I saw these people who thought they deserved, because they showed up for work, they deserved a pay raise. You know, and to ask them to work was like, what do you mean, I gotta come and do things? You want me to work the whole time I'm here? You know, yeah. Yes, I expect you to work the whole time you're here, and, well, but all of this comes down to people not doing things God's way. They've bought into the world's pre presentation. And that's why we as a church you know, and Christians need to really encourage our children, our grandchildren, nieces, nephews, whatever. This is God's way of doing things and try to get them to come to God's way of doing things, which will make them strange in this world, but will make them following God's word. Verse 21, we're going to read a couple more verses here. Folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walks uprightly. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors they are established. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. The way of life is above the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the widow. So we're going to look at these. Folly is a joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walks uprightly. And this goes back to what we, we read one just like this earlier. You know, that, uh, that the mouth of the fools feeds on, on foolishness. And so if, you, you know, folly is a joy to them that are destitute of knowledge. And we see this over and over where people do things that are against God's way, that are going to lead to destruction, but they're enjoying the process of doing it. And it's bizarre to watch them because even sometimes if you talk to them, they know where it's headed. You talk to the person who drinks too much and is going to get drunk, and they know they're going to get drunk. They know there's going to be consequences probably for being drunk and yet they get drunk and seem to be enjoying it as they do it. Now, I don't know if they really are enjoying it or not, but from the appearance of looking at them, they're enjoying it. And you see people making bad decisions after bad decision after bad decision and seeming to joyfully do them, even though in the back of their mind, somewhere in the recesses of their mind, they know that these are bad decisions. We see this with the with the world, with all the hookups and the and the you know the fornication and everything going on, people know that it's wrong, but yet they're wanting to enjoy the one night stands. They want to enjoy the 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 pleasure that they're getting out of it, or whatever it is they're getting out of it. Uh, and yet they know in the back of the mind this is not the way it's supposed to be. Our world is telling them it's okay, it's right, it's you know just do it. But the scriptures say, don't do it. There's serious consequences for doing it. And God says, don't join yourselves together because 
it is not just physical, it's emotional, it's, it's, spirit, you know, it, it's at a soul level that they're joined together and it is a huge issue. And the world is lying to them and saying it's okay. And they're enjoying their folly. But a man of understanding walks uprightly. The more we understand God's word, the more we get into God's word, the more we're going to walk uprightly and do correct things. And if we are disobeying it, we will feel bad and be convicted as we're disobeying it. We're not going to go into sin joyfully and, and everything. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been there, but if you've ever chosen to sin in your lifetime, you know, just, you know, everything's telling you what's wrong, and you say, no, I'm going to do it anyway, there's no pleasure in it. Because God's conviction is so heavy that you're like, why did I ever decide I wanted to do this, this sin? And there's no joy. And God is saying, we're no, we're no longer fools. We're no longer fools. We're supposed to be walking uprightly, and he will convict us. That's the Holy Spirit's job, is to convict us when we're doing sin. And that's one of the keys for, for whether we are saved or not. Can we sin and not be convicted? If we can, we're not one of his children. If we can't, it's a big in indication that God is there saying, you're my child. You cannot just go out and do sin. Now, can we sin ignorantly and not know the difference? Yes, there's all kinds of places where God has not convicted me. But when I know that it's a sin and I'm doing it, there is no joy in it. There's conviction. There's, uh, you know, I almost have to fight to be able to do it. <laughs> and, God's, and God's saying, you're my child. You cannot, you cannot do this. Verse 22, without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but, the, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. This is kind of one of these things where advisors, counselors, you know, without counsel, purposes are disappointed or destroyed. They're not, they're not successful. If I go out and I never get advice about anything that I do in my lifetime, number one, I'm pretty stupid because that means I think I'm the smartest person and nobody can advise me. And I will make, I will make errors every time if I don't look for help. Other times, though, this is very important. The multitude of advisors, the purposes are established. And that is just where people will give advice. Uh, and the leader will seek advice from other people. Now, he may still go, he or she may still do what they wanted to do in the first place, but they've had input from other people. A husband is the, is the head of his house, but his wife's advice and, and recommendations need to be listened to. It may still mean that I'm going to do what I think is right, but at least I've listened to the input. And my wife is very wise, and I like to you know, say that I listen to her more often than I that I do, but there's many times where I've done things that, that I shouldn't have done because that were against her advice and I paid for it. Is she always right? No. But I need to listen to what she has to say. Here at the church, I listen to what other people have to say and say, okay, okay, sometimes we're going to do what they want to do. Sometimes we're going to, we're going to do other things, but we need the advice. We need, the, we need this in our life. We need accountability to other people. You know, who is it that we'd say... This person is somebody I'm going to listen to. And I've talked oftentimes. I've got two men that I meet with frequently, 
And it's been hard lately because one just got promoted and he's trying to get his job back together. So he hasn't had as much time. The other one's been pretty sick. But as often as we meet, we get together and we hold each other accountable and we talk about things that, about God and our life. And, and it's important that we have this accountability, these advisors in our life that say, kind of, you know, well, you're, you're thinking about doing that. Are you really sure that you want to do that? You might want to think about <laughs> this and that and, you know, and sometimes, you know, you've got to find someone that you can trust. Yes. Lord, we just ask you to thank, bless this day to us special. Give us opportunities to share you with others and, and help us to learn to, to walk in your knowledge, walk in your way. Help us to have our flesh crucified and to walk in the spiritual, in the spiritual realm and to apply you in all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I read a lot of